0: Hello, and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. Uh, Wade and I are here in, uh, in Wade's office on a December day. It's starting to snow outside. And we're here to start our new Winging It series on the life of Martin Luther. And so what we decided to do, we finished uh, kind of an, a skip through church history our last wing unit session and you can go back and check those out if you'd like and this will be a little bit more focused on the life of luther and we're just going to start kind of with uh, biographies and overall picture of why we should study luther and then we'll get into his birth and his parents and and we'll just keep going as uh, slowly or as fast as we want and we're going to hopefully get through the whole life uh, of luther Uh, uh, wade teaches the luther class how many times have you taught that class now
1: uh, probably four or so maybe. Okay,
0: and this is, I'm ending my first semester teaching this, and so we're going to uh, tag team this, so it'll be offered every year. And uh, it was really fun for me to be forced into reading biographies that I always wanted to read but didn't have time to, and also to read his theological writings with a uh, different purpose. And so uh, you have uh, a head start on me just because of your educational background, but also being taught having taught it uh, quite a bit more than I have. But we thought since we both are teaching this, it would be a good winging it session since we're kind of living and breathing in it and are familiar with uh, the new information coming out, new biographies and stuff like that. So, um, Wade, I'll kick it to you, and you can either add something to that intro or maybe you can get us started on why we should study Luther.
1: Sure. I I'm I think... Uh to be honest, I think all three Winging It series now have been your ideas, Mike, and I think they've been very good, and so I'm grateful for that. The, uh, the worship one I was a little hesitant about at first, and I think that's been one of our most popular things we've we've done. Um, I think part of the, the the fun with talking Luther is going to be a little bit what we'll be able to get into today, which is uh, to kind of intro Luther scholarship or thinking about Luther and his life, and then next time, uh, maybe a little bit today, but especially next time to get a little bit into his family, his background, and his childhood. But uh, Luther is is one of those figures. There's not a lot of them in history. Uh, obviously, Jesus is one, but I think also maybe like an Abe Lincoln. Um, the uh, one of those figures that you can you can look to for a lot of different reasons. Not everybody is looking to Luther. Um, because they're a Lutheran or even interested in theology. Uh, and kind of every age that is looked at Luther tends to uh, look to him because they feel that they resonate in some way with him. And so biographies of Luther, our own uh, studies of Luther, what we as Lutherans choose to read, um, just the fact of what's in the Luther's works we have at Luther's, um, after Luther's death or at the end of the, his life, you have the beginnings of these new editions of Luther's works. Um, you have a uh, Jena edition and a Wittenberg edition, and both of those really bore the marks of what each university and what the scholars there wanted to emphasize about Luther. <clears throat> the Jena editions um, very much were influenced by kind of Gnesio lutheran thought, um, this Desire to really emphasize the distinctives of Luther's theology, um, that which uh, they thought was most important for the the challenges of their day. The Wittenberg editions reflected kind of the more ironic um, and uh, maybe like proto ecumenical concerns of of some at Wittenberg. And I'll admit I'm biased on that because I definitely. Uh, Most of my work academically is Luther's later life and then uh, Genesio Lutheran's. So I'm biased towards that. But already there in these first incarnations of Luther's works editions, we see them being just as reflective of those who gather them as of Luther himself. And I think we're going to see that in biographies too, that Each Luther biography gives you perhaps as much a lens into the person writing it uh, as it does into the person and work of Martin Luther himself. Um, And so I don't know that we need to run down a list of biographies, but it might be helpful to mention some. But uh, I think as we look at this, one of the things I'm hoping we can flesh out in this session and then throughout the series is why Luther. And maybe if we start with a little bit of the, the biographies we're most conversant with or what we've been using. But they be, then maybe we can work into, especially two things, Mike, I have in mind. And the first being, uh why look to Luther? What are we looking for in Luther? Um, and then recognizing as well, maybe as a second part of that, um, the legacy of Luther and the Reformation and how, whether we want to admit it or not, this is something that impacts us still today, which means if you're listening to this and maybe your your interest in Luther isn't the same as ours, um, you're invested in him whether you recognize it or not by the nature of the world that we live in today. So maybe, Micah, why don't you introduce the listeners a little bit to the biographies you're using in the Luther class and then I can bring out a little bit what I've used or maybe some recent ones I've been reading.
0: Yeah, let me first echo echo what you said about um, biographies often tell us more about the writer and the time of that writer than the, than the person or equally so. And, and, and that's just history and that's just the way it is. And that's okay. That's all right. It's It's okay to have a different viewpoint. And that's what's been so fascinating for me is instead of reading a a uh, biography of Lutheran College, then one in seminary, and then every couple years maybe I pick one up is actually reading them side by side and seeing uh, what things are highlighted and what not, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting, uh, especially in his early life where we don't have a whole lot of information, um, was he poor was he rich was he middle huh. class or whatever is the is the idea of middle class something that wouldn't even been thought about necessarily in and the same And do we terms want him to have yeah. been
1: poor or middle class or yeah. rich right we all go into that kind of rooting for something
0: Yeah and it, and 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 some biographies are hey this is the great hero of our faith some biographies are this is another person that's uh, that's a, a very important historical person and we try to go through the lens of of more accuracy on what he said and what he did, we're not trying to whitewash anything. So the book that we were to read in college for that was Kittleson, James Kittleson. Uh, I think at that time at Ohio State, I believe. And uh, he, there's a new version of that. I don't have that picked up. I like it because it's it's very straightforward. I like my history. This happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened, and then uh, and then maybe another biography. To supplement that, that takes on like a new aspect. Um, I I, we're both using Scott Hendricks as kind of the basis for our Luther our semester in Luther, Um, Martin Luther, visionary reformer, and I'm very glad to use that. I think it's very accessible and very and very good. And and he he points that out too. That um, there each biography is going to have its own its own slant, and I I think he's fairly fairly balanced. Uh, the other two that I'm working through right now, uh, reviewing, rereading, is uh, Heiko Oberman, Luther, Man Between God and Devil. And that's probably my favorite that I've written so far. I think it's just a passionate read for me. I really like that. And then Here I Stand, uh, Roland uh, Bainton, right? Am I pronouncing yep. that right? Yep. Who would have been at Yale? And then I think Oberman followed him at Yale. Is that correct, I think? Uh,
1: Oberman was in, I believe, Tubingen. And I know he ends up at uh, University of Arizona, where kind of like um, his legacy is right now. A lot of his works, mm-hmm. but he's he's places in between, and that could well that could well yeah. be. It, I think it's Yale that published it. it.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. I can't remember if he was at Yale for a while there too. But certainly, there's a connection between Bainton and then Oberman as kind of those were those were two big biographies, at least. At least in my early um, um, career as a theologian, I look to those two.
1: I think uh, just two little ones that are extremely helpful that um, may not be something we would use for a course because we're using something a little more comprehensive, but um, Jim Nest again uh, has a really good one, and then um, Kaufman has one that's been translated into English that is, I think, helpful too. But yeah, I would say uh, Hendricks, that visionary Luther, is what we've been using lately in the Luther class. Um, and then the second book in that Luther class is Pedigree, Brand Luther, and I know I've plugged that before on the podcast, so I won't too much, but I will say that's my single favorite um, book to have to, to have come out with the anniversary of the Reformation, um, because it's not straight biography, and I, I don't know that it's really even necessarily biography, <clears throat> but it really gets at a lot of the underappreciated dynamics at play in how Luther becomes Luther, right, what people think of Luther at that time, and kind of uh, how media affected his message, which I think is something that I try to drive home with students today. Um, message can't easily be divorced from media and from the medium, and uh, we very much think now in an internet way, right, that's shaped, I know my attention span has been shaped by that, and that's not all bad. Google enables me to do research I never could have done before, I I just got a 16th century manuscript from a library in Munich again the other day. I didn't have to go to Munich, although that would have been a great excuse <clears throat> to go to Munich. Um, but brand Luther, very good. And the effect of the printing press then on the success of Luther's Reformation. Um, for for these uh, Winging It sessions, I'm reading back through Hendrix, but I'm also reading uh, Lyndall Roper's Mar- Martin Luther, Renegade and Prophet. And I think this shows us a little bit how people can react to biographies because I know some have uh, reacted negatively towards uh, Roper's biography, (coughs) those in the Lutheran world, that is, because um, sometimes as Lutherans we can want more hagiography than biography when it comes to someone. And and Roper, um, I think, is for the most part very fair and extremely accessible, very well-researched, but she does try to present Luther as Luther. but there is some anachronism in there, for instance, uh, when it comes to men and women and I think anti-Semitism. She makes some very good points and she presents very good research, but there's maybe some anachronism in the judgments that are made. But there's also very helpful stuff in that regard that I I think um, that's been a helpful biography for me that I'm working my way back through. So um, I would suggest that. And then the one I don't suggest that Mike knows is the Metaxas biography. <clears throat> I I think for a like lay reader public thing, okay, that can be all right. But I really would encourage people to give their attention to something better if they're just going to read one Luther biography. The Kittleson, I will say the the Wiersma revision of the Kittleson, so the new Kittleson volume uh, I used in History of the Reformations this year, and I really, really like um, the revisions. I know in the past I've kind of dogged on the Kittleson a little bit too, Mike, because it is a little da-da, da-da, da-da when you read it. This happened, then this happened. But I really think that they've improved it and brought in um, a lot of new scholarship um, and some cultural, social stuff as well. So I would highly recommend that. Maybe we can get to, to though, then, Mike, um, why why read Luther and I think it's helpful to remember people have gone to Luther for all sorts of different reasons. You have um, nationalist Luther, where um, especially as Germany is starting to come into existence, and you think of Bismarck and um, you know what is it, 1870, where Germany becomes a thing. Um, but even Prussian Luther, where Luther is connected with Germanness, right? We're going to read Luther because he he is this great German figure. Um, we can see kind of Enlightenment Luther. Uh, Luther who frees us from the constraints of superstition. Luther who uh, advocates for the conscience um, and uh, critical thought. I'm not saying Luther is all of these things, but this is what people go to him for. We can see dogmatic Luther where, um, especially on anniversaries, Luther reformations or reformation uh, anniversaries, I mean, uh, the desire to have a reorienting of theology by going to Luther. Um, we can have philosophical Luther with nominalism as opposed to realism um, and uh, you know um, fatal bondage of the will used from philosophical reasons. Um, we can have Luther as precursor of separation in church and of, of church and state, which I don't think is a really fair one um, as he didn't envision anything like people advocate with that. Um, but kind of Luther as the um, ushering in modernity. Uh, unfortunately, we can have Nazi Luther. Now, Luther was most certainly not a Nazi, um, but some of his writings were used by the Nazis. Uh, Luther has been harnessed, has been used by by people throughout history. Uh, in this um, literary Luther, I mean, the the influence that his writing has on the formation of the German language Uh In East Germany, you had studies of Luther's interaction with Münzer and the peasants because you had Luther painted in a poor light as like bourgeois Luther and proletariat Münzer who was leading, you know, uh, these proto-Marxist rebellions. So to recognize, every age goes to Luther for something. Um, Whoever makes a movie about Luther or a biography is trying to find the points of resonance with the intended audience. And so I think Luther is a great figure for us to study or consider because he provides a lens into ourselves. When we read about Luther, what are we drawn to? What are we maybe um, repulsed by? I think we can say some things might be repulsive. Uh, What do we choose to focus on what do we maybe skim or just glance over? So I think Luther serves, like um, maybe a Lincoln or some others, as a great lens into our own person and therefore hopefully leads us to ask where our blind spots might be or to ask questions uh, that we might not otherwise ask. And I think Luther also is one of those thinkers then who uh, who asks big questions that there's no expiration date on. Um, what drives us to these questions, what we use to come to an answer to these questions, these things may change, but Luther is one who really takes head-on some of the, the biggest questions of human existence. And so I think there's there's a value in confronting Luther in that way, too, because even if you look at him and you say, well, I don't agree with that, um, what he's wrestling with is, is still something um, that in our darker hours, maybe as death approaches or as life gets difficult, is still very pertinent. Uh, I don't want to talk, talk too much, Mike, so I'll, I'll throw that out there if you have anything. Sure, yeah.
0: I, I always think that not, it's not just biographies that show us uh, a different view of Luther, but art too. Um, the uh, the Luther of the statues on seminary and college and high school grounds in our in our little corner of the world is different than the chronic Luther, <laughs> quite a bit, actually. Uh, and they say something about who he is. And, and we have fallen a little bit into that, uh, trying to defend Luther just because he's Luther. And what I tell my students is don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of the truth, right? Uh, for any of those great figures besides Jesus, right? That you say, this is a flawed person. But that does not mean that this person does not have some value. And to really understand where this person is coming from, understand their context, understand all of those things, and that's why it's so important just to do biographies, period, um, and why it's important to do history. And there's so many things that come up in 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 today's world, and I think uniquely so in our time. You had the printing press uh, uh, c- contrasted with um, with the Internet today. And, and I made a point uh, just... To use one example, that yes, the, without the printing press, Luther is not does not carry out this reformation as quickly and as widespread as possible. That's clear. But the, as much as the printing press helped make Luther Luther, Luther helped the printing press make the printing press the printing press. And to say content still matters. The printing press was around for a while. Movable type was around for a while, but you needed a market and you needed content. And I think that hit home with, with especially of our business-minded students to say, content still matters. You can't just it. You can't see everything through the lens of the economy or technology. There's still a human element to it. And then Luther understanding that. What's so great about Brand Luther by pedigree is, uh, these little 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 stories about luther making sure that you know he looked a certain way when someone famous yeah. was coming and he, you know he dressed dressed up for he this occasion bath, which yeah. is always
1: an interesting thing like okay <laughs> i
0: he knew what was going on uh and and that kind of shatters the the picture of luther that i think a lot of lay people in a previous generation had this humble monk who didn't really know what was going on. And then he was taken by the word of God and he was so simple and he saved us from the church and from Latin and from all this kind of stuff. It just, it's just not accurate. Right. On a lot of different levels. Um, yeah. The, the, the whole uh, separation of church state is that the same as the two kingdoms, right? No, it's more nuanced with, with Luther and the two kingdoms. And it says something to, to our day right now, a lot of this stuff, um, you can we could probably name five or six things uh, just off the top of our heads right now. Um, the big one for me, um, how we change the world and something we should think about today is uh, just the access to information for people. Uh, a, that information would be in the vernacular, um, and, and that means that knowledge is not the property of some certain group out there that can read this that has access to printed materials but also the education of the laity boys and girls that they would be able to have access to information in general but also specifically scripture and good uh, catechesis that's a big deal and that has ramifications in science, in politics, in a lot of different places. I, I even go so far as to say um, in my class, um, we're probably not here without Luther and his views on education. Um, maybe we would have been 100 years behind, or maybe we wouldn't have even have this concept of universal education. It, ch- it changes the world in a, in a very profound way.
1: I think uh, a couple things you said in there, Mike, that were really good that just to hit on, you mentioned that I'm getting to the truth of things. And and I think this is an interesting thing, too, that it's good for us to remember as we study history and biographies. And here, I don't want to get all postmodern, but um, the... uh, And I do think there's a way to get at historical truth, right? There are sources that provide data that allow us to make reasonable conclusions. But part of the fun of history, too, is that the data sometimes improves over time. Um, and uh, the um, what we know about how we got the data or what surrounds it, the context, can sometimes become clear. But there's also um, something for us to remember that as readers, um, we bring something to the text, too. And something can become true for us uh when it comes to historical figures and their work and and their writings, um, that isn't necessarily how it was true for them, if that makes sense. Um, And so we can sometimes take something very important from Luther and his time and his writings and his thought that isn't necessarily um, what was first and foremost on his radar, but is something that becomes very important for us. Um, And so... Sometimes uh, looking at, at Luther or other figures can prompt us to thought that becomes very productive and true, but it is not necessarily um, you know, exactly what the original person was after. But also to be, da- to be careful of that which we've made truth about someone that isn't necessarily truth. So I remember um, one of my members... When I had first come to the parish, I was wearing a white gown and, or, you know, vestment and uh, the alb, and I, and I guess I had a shut-in who, last time she had been there, the pastor before me was still wearing the black Geneva, and I remember her, she saw my ordination picture and she was very upset because I was in a white robe and so, so were most of the other pastors, and she said, well, Luther would be rolling over in his grave. Um <laughs> And it turns out the previous pastor had been wearing an alb for a while, too, because there's pictures in the back of church. But um, for her, right, this picture of Luther that she had, of Luther in his academic gown, which he would have wore at Geneva when teaching, had become something that took on meaning in in the association it held for her. And we can see this with vestments. White is Christ's righteousness, or black reminds us of our sin. And so to remember, too— the value of uh, assessing how these things ought to apply to us and maybe um, the danger of uh, not being able to recognize when we've imbued something with a meaning that's somewhat foreign to what the person was thinking at the time. Um, I don't think Luther ever walked to class in a black robe and thought this is really going to lead to some good debates in 500 years about what someone should wear in church. So just with that caveat, um, one thing that, that comes up with the printing press, too, that I think is important, and you're very right, Mike, about Luther's influence on it, is to remember um, Luther then wrote for that type of um, production of print. So he both shaped the printing press and the printing press shaped his writing. So Luther's very much an occasional theologian. And as much as we might sometimes um, bemoan how verbose he could be, He's usually verbose in collections of his writings. So if you have a book of Luther's writings, he didn't sit down and write that book. He wrote a lot of things that went in that book, if that makes sense. <clears throat> but um, he really wrote for his audience. Who is this being published for? But then he also wrote for how many pages this sh- should this be if it's going to be mass produced easily? Um, what should the font look like? How will it keep the reader's attention? And I think there are all sorts of implications of that, for um, what, for publishing today, for parishes and pastors and people's presence on the internet, um, to recognize who is reading through this means, to write for that, um, how we preach even, and 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 then um, to recognize that this new medium is going to also shape how people read or follow it.
0: Yeah. He- short pamphlets sometimes I mean we don't think they're short but they would have been short for, for an academic like Martin Luther back then um, the, the font um, how quickly it gets out um, to, the, to the audience often a Lay audience, knowing full well, sometimes not to a lay audience. Yeah, this is all stuff that the local parish pastor should understand when he's mm. doing as simple as a bulletin, let alone um, what he's putting out on the internet and um, and his his sermons too. Um, and fiery, passionate, get to the point. Um, you know, don't pull any punches. Um, that kind of stuff, and then yet also. Uh, There's a certain sense of humility there that says this is not really about me. Like if if you if I'm proven wrong, you know whatever. Uh, it wasn't really as much as Luther was concerned about his image. For the most part, obviously he's a selfish, vain person just like the rest of us. But for the most part, um, it was much more about the message than about his own brand. So the brands serve the message and not the other way around, which is something for our students to really realize because it's not just our students look at brands and are taken in by marketing. They are told to be their own brand. Like not just like, uh, you know, an osmosis kind of message from the culture. No, they're told, you need to be a brand in order to market yourself.
1: Even the army is an army of one now, right? Yeah, I mean,
0: yeah, I mean literally say, this is your brand, make your brand. And, and the people that tell them that mean well, and what they mean is make yourself marketable so you can get a job in a very competitive age, I get that. Uh, but for Luther, there was... The brand served the message, and he wouldn't have used that term, of course. But he understood, he understood the image and the brand. But it served the message, and not the other way around, for the most part. Just the fact that he didn't take money for, for his, um, things that were printed, um, I think for the most part if you put him up against a wall probably would have been I want to get this house as fast as possible as cheap as possible it wasn't because he was being so humble necessarily or righteous it was for the message
1: and I'm going to throw out a bunch of stuff real quick Mike and we don't want to go too long on these it or on this first one but if you're wondering why should I be interested in Luther what might be some points of resonance um, with application still today I'm just going to throw out a bunch Uh, Luther is Living at a time when capitalism is really beginning to emerge and take hold. He comes from a a family that's uh, involved in mining, which is one of the fields that was most affected by this burgeoning capitalism, and and largely negatively, which explains some of Luther's views. Um, Should there be charging of interest? What sort of charging of interest is just? Um, Economics, capitalism, these are things we wrestle with today. And there's a lot of people in our day who I think somewhat fairly, and this is not to take aside but to say simply I don't think they're crazy for asking it, who ask is capitalism still working well, um, and is it working well for everyone? Um, these are questions Luther asked, and I think uh, it's just another point of context. What does it mean to be a Christian in the economic world? And, and let me follow up. And,
0: and Luther— his we was he poor was he middle class or whatever he's a guy who had relatives that were educated and within the church he had um he had a blue collar background you know his grandparents would have been farmers and yet he is given an education he's he is like a lot of americans who are like i have a blue collar uncle I have somebody who went to university. Uh, My grandparents were farmers, and I'm. I'm My uncle
1: literally died in a bar fight. Yeah,
0: I'm. I'm none of those things, and yet I'm all of those things. And so, his his childhood and his background is very, very similar to, I think, a lot of people living today in America.
1: I think the next one would be to think about education. Um, Public school education largely owes its existence to the Reformation where this impetus comes for the state to support the education of people, not only so that they can be literate to read the scriptures, but for better citizenship. Um, University education, really beginning to think about what curriculums should look like. Uh, The growth of the sciences, if God created the world, we should want to study and understand his good and wonderful creation. Um, Dynamics of faith and reason, something we wrestle with still today. How does the metaphysical deal or match up with the empirical? Um, Do we have to answer the big questions only materially or biologically? These are all questions that come up. Religious freedom and toleration. Now, there is no religious freedom at Luther's time, anything like we mean it today. But the Reformation is going to be really where those questions come out of because— how do I get along with my neighbor who maybe doesn't now share my confession? They're still Christians, right? But, but you have Protestantism and Catholicism. The Netherlands will be a real uh, kind of um, petri dish for where this will play out. But this, these discussions will come out of that. And then with that, human rights. Um, how do we live together? How do we get along? What is the value of a human being? And Luther's answer whenever controversies would come up, always emphasizes the value of a human being and, and of human life.
0: And, and maybe an un, just before we get too far, I think an underrate, he's an underrated voice for uh, the freedom of speech and the freedom of the academy. There's a couple places where, you know, like he insists on having the Quran uh, printed. I think early on he takes the side in the university debates of you should be able to speak freely kind of thing. Right. You Weidenberg know?
1: so, later will publish Copernicus, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And, uh, and I think with that, obviously when we talk about freedom of speech or academic freedom, Luther couldn't imagine it to the extent that we speak of it in, in our day. Um, but these discussions come out of things like the Reformation, and Luther is pushing for something beyond what existed before. Luther does not think a heretic should be teaching at the University of Wittenberg, um, but he does think a doctor of theology should be asked to able to ask probative questions about theology. Um, so without us going in, the temptation is for us to go into all of these right now. I'm guessing it is for you too, Mike. It is for me. Um, but we kind of want to whet your appetite. Why look at Luther? And as we proceed, um, Mike has been very clear on this and I agree with him. We're going to go at the pace that we feel fits. Um, the, we may spend a lot of time on something that you go, I wouldn't have imagined a lot of time on that, but we might think there's a fair amount to unpack. For instance, we really thought about getting into his childhood in this episode, but I think there's a lot there in his family back, background in his childhood that, that I don't want to race through that to get to the next thing. So we're going to try to keep these sessions from getting too long, um, half hour, 40 minute target, but we we want to be able to have as many of them as we choose to have And so bear with us, Um, but we also want them to be where you can jump in at any point. So if you miss one and you see one pop up on your phone, well, go back and listen to the other one if you want. But also know if you jump in, we're going to do our best at the beginning of each to kind of give you our context where we're at. And then at the end to kind of give you a sense for where we might be going. But uh, we want them, like the worship ones and the church history, to somewhat be able to stand alone too. Does that, that all sounds fair, Mike?
0: I think so, and um, I think we got a good start, even though we, we we're trying to pull the reins back a little bit, that a lot of these concepts are going to come back, not just in one or two episodes, but maybe the majority of the episodes will bring those in, and, and we won't spend a whole lot of time, I don't think, on his theological writings getting in-depth there, but we'll mention them for sure and say, uh, this is about the time when he wrote the whatever. Um, And uh, maybe I can close it out unless you have anything else? Nope, I'm all All right. I think one thing that has always resonated with me when thinking about Luther in the context of a global historical view is that uh, Luther and the Lutherans Tend to be kind of an anchor in the Christian world and maybe even in the broader world too. So uh, we've used this example before, but Benedict XVI, uh, A.K.A. Joseph Ratzinger, was a Luther scholar. You know, uh, a pope was a Luther scholar. Uh, the The Catholic Church knows Martin Luther. Um, if you uh, read uh, uh, heavily evangelical writings or Reformed writings or went to a school of that uh, persuasion, as I did, very familiar, uh, remarkably so, with Martin Luther and his theology, critical of it, but all, but more often than not, very, um, uh, very appreciative of it. As Lutherans, we don't really go around quoting John Calvin, even though we could because he said, like, a lot of good things. Uh, we don't because we have not just... Martin Luther, but Chemnitz and, um, and Melanchthon, and not to mention all of those uh, kind of second generation Lutherans. And there is an anchor there uh, between Roman Catholicism and the Western uh, Church and, and the, the vast uh, uh, array of Protestants on the other side. And I think that means that we are doing battle with both in certain ways, uh, a narrow Lutheran middle road. Uh, well, and I think just a go quick, ahead. T-
1: sometimes with ourselves too, I mean, there may be times where we say, you know what, this take we've had on Luther or us appealing to Luther on this or that um, maybe wasn't the most fair way to do it. And that doesn't mean we're throwing out anything when it comes to doctrine or practice necessarily, um, but that sometimes we can say of ourselves too, you know, maybe this wasn't the best place mm-hmm. to appeal to
0: yeah and so we're, we're, we're being pulled in two different directions and I think that means that Lutheranism is never really going to be the biggest denomination around and yet it has a very important role it's a, it's often described as a university reformation right it's very concerned with catechesis it's concerned with worship it's concerned with the church along with evangelism um, and cultural matters too now this may seem seem kind of arrogant Uh, for a Lutheran to say that, but that's not how I mean it. What I mean is the narrow Lutheran middle road was this, let's just stick with Scripture, and, and, and notice that in the history of the Church, there was a lot of people that stuck with Scripture, and things went to the left or to the right or sideways in some way or not. And the best of Lutheranism is trying to say, hold on hold on hold on back to the sources the source first of all and to say we're not a sect we're not running our own little thing here we want to stay in the middle and in that by that very action um becomes an anchor theologically and academically in the in the broader broader church and i would argue too in the broader world too um at our best, and there's a lot of bad, but at our best, Lutheranism has said let's think clearly about science, um, let's think clearly about culture, noticing that these are often two realms. Um, that should never mix, but they certainly overlap and they can inform each other. How does that play out? Um, uh, Being a a conservative-type Reformation, and what I mean by that is a Reformation by its very nature is liberal, (laughs) and yet it is a conservative Reformation and saying, okay, hold on, let's think about this. So uh, at its best, Lutheranism doesn't fly off the handle and go towards uh, Marxism, and yet this, or shouldn't. And at the same time, it's not just going to be capitalism, rah, 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 uh, Protestant work, work ethic either. It's going to be a little bit more nuanced. And so despite of all of our angst in the Lutheran church and about not being bigger and badder and better, um, we have an important role within the church and that beautiful doctrine that the church is hidden. You probably heard it as invisible, that it's not uh, you don't draw a line around it like we do our denominations now and be very happy that uh, Lutherans will be a minority in heaven, <laughs> numbers wise.
1: Although everyone will officially be a Lutheran. That,
0: this is true. You know, John and the Baptist the wasn't Baptist, he was actually a right. Lutheran. I don't know if you knew that. But right. anyway, next time we're going to, please come back next time and we're going to start right from the beginning and start plowing our way through the life of Luther. Until then, let the bird fly. Another round. Set them out another round Set them up another round One more round won't get me down Came home last night all full of lush My faith began to fuss and I said Honey, honey, I don't care what the people are thinking I'm not drunk, I'm here drinking.